Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 49th episode of the Truth Island podcast. Imagine a lady attending a dinner party, and she is wearing a new watch that she deems to be rather expensive. She's taken immense pride in matching this watch to the rest of what she is wearing, and she is expecting that she will be showered in compliments. Somewhere along the night, the host of the party approaches her and says the following, nice watch. Did you happen to get it on sale anywhere? The woman casually laughs and tells her where she went shopping and politely reinforces that the watch was not on sale when she brought it. After a few minutes, the woman's friend walks away and a series of thoughts begins to race through her head. Uh, was she being sarcastic? Is she trying to bring me down a peg by insinuating that I can only afford to buy nice things if they're on sale? Maybe she wants the same watch as me, but she is secretly hoping that she can too get a bargain on this. As the night progresses, the woman becomes more and more sure that her friend is paying her a backhanded compliment. Until about a month later, she bumps into her friend at the grocery store and notices that she too is wearing the same watch as she was a month ago. In life, we often assume the worst in people's attention when we are unsure. When a friend cancels a date because they are sick, we sometimes assume they are faking it because something better may have come up. More and more of our modern day society seems to be predicated on the fact that we should always assume the worst in people and never the best. Even when someone is being nice to us, we always think in the back of our heads, hmm, what's in it for them? Why are they acting so nice all of a sudden? Is this way of thinking at all healthy? Or is this simply the way of the world? Joining me to help restore my confidence in people, I am once again joined by Joe. Uh, so Joe, why exactly should I trust you? You know, it's a loaded question, Aaron. I really don't know. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not always clear. And, you know, I think a lot of it is based on our past experiences. And when we're interacting with someone else, we have this kind of uh, a way of assuming, it, you know, if we assume the worst in them, it kind of hurts us. And we don't really see that. And if we assume the best in them, inevitably be disappointed. So it really isn't it's something where we really need to wrestle with ourselves on how much trust we should be affording to each individual we're interacting with. And I think that that's what it, we're getting to the core here is trust, the idea of trust, because we have to trust ourselves in our assumptions. So, mm. and then once we make our assumptions, we have to make, and how we react, I think that that's ultimately whether we determine somebody is the worst in them or the best in them. Let's focus on focusing on the positive for a sec, okay? And let's imagine we're at that dinner party and we're in this woman's mind about the watch, right? I think that regardless of whether it was a backhanded compliment or not, I think that that woman would have a much greater time at that party and maybe interacting with her friends if she just assumed, oh, wow, everyone loves my watch and they were just wondering if it was on sale because they want it themselves or you know they were just curious if I was a good bargain hunter or something like that instead of assuming that everyone thinks she's cheap or, or just you know doesn't wear anything that's quality or of luxury. I think that her 
interaction at that party and her state of mind would be in a much better place if she went with positive presumptions. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe even not even positive presumptions, but it ultimately ruins your own relationship with why you bought the watch in the first place. The idea that you're so worried about what other people are thinking, you're automatically making these assumptions and these value judgments that, you know, have a detrimental uh, effect on the on the relationships themselves. So then somebody makes a compliment or, uh, you know, even a critique uh, or criticism, then you start to get upset automatically or you even assume they're making a, a criticism, a negative assumption about what you're wearing. And you are you don't have perfect information to make the decision to, to determine whether the person is uh, uh, what their intentions are. It's a very challenging type of scenario because I really think ultimately it ruins the relationship as to why you bought the watch in the first place. Listening to what you just said, it reminds me of a previous discussion that we had about looking at artwork and and like projecting insecurity onto the situation. So this woman is really, really, really proud of the expensive watch that she has. But when her friend compliments her, I think that she's simply projecting her insecurity about her own relationship with that watch onto the friend like she thinks oh wait maybe this isn't expensive enough or oh wait my my the rest of my wardrobe isn't expensive and that's leading people to believe that this is the only item that i could afford that is expensive so i think that a lot of this like assuming the worst in people are kind of negative insecurities and fears that you're projecting onto others Absolutely. I mean, it is our negative projections onto the world because we're not comfortable with ourselves. If we, if the individual that bought the watch was comfortable with why they bought the watch and they were happy with it, they wouldn't really worry about what other people said about it at all. So, you know, so it ultimately is a reflection of how we have a relationship with ourselves. And I Mm. think that this is an important thing because this has a way manifesting itself in in society as a whole. I mean, if we're not comfortable in ourselves, we're more likely to assume the worst in others. And that's the way, you know, and this can even lead to things like tearing someone else down when they make a mistake. We're angry with ourselves, therefore we project onto other people. Uh, And it's... I think it's really um, something that's quite sad because I think it has a real negative impact on relationships as a whole. Let's let's even twist that night a little bit more. Let's say she went to that party and nobody at all complimented her on that watch. I'm wondering like like what would be going through her head, Joe? Because I'm thinking, would she be saying in her head, wow, no one likes me. No one wants to like point out how nice my watch is. And perhaps she's like failing to realize that maybe people have other crap going through their head that they're just not paying attention to your watch. It doesn't mean that they don't like you. It just means that there's too much other stimulus going on for them to just pause and talk about your watch right now. Yeah. And I mean, and it's a basic understanding that what we do isn't necessarily important to everyone else. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's a real area of self-realization where you start to say, okay, is it that should people be reacting to this? Mm. Why, and then we have this way of then assuming, well, if they're not reacting, are they jealous? Or are, if they are reacting, are they um, impressed? 
And, you know, so that, or if they're not reacting, are they jealous? Becomes a, something where we're projecting onto everyone else. And once we start projecting onto everyone else, we're doing so again without perfect information. And we don't know what's going through their heads. So then we start to assume the worst. And if our insecurities have a way of showing themselves in those types of situations. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think that this is also a, a great deal of a, a lack of self-love in a way, because I, I like what you said you know, earlier that it really shouldn't matter anyone's reaction to that watch. Like, let's even go a step further. Worst case scenario, man, lady, that's an ugly watch you're wearing. Did you get that? You know, did you get that from a, a gumball machine? I think that's what the kids used to say or something when I was in school, like, you know, or, you know, you got those shoes from Payless or something like that, that like, it shouldn't really matter because if you have an immense state of self-love and self-assurance, whether the reaction to what you're wearing is of a neutral color or it's a negative color, it doesn't really matter. And I think that when we have a, a vast amount of self-loathing and a, a vast amount of insecurity, we tend to project, we, we tend to see everyone else in the world as being as critical as we are onto ourselves. As, and I couldn't have said it more beautifully myself, is that the idea that once we're critical of ourselves, it, we're going to be critical of the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And then so these negative emotions that come up that we don't feel we're good enough. Well, then how are you going to react to that? You're going to react in an angry and a negative way. Now, conversely, you can also have an overly positive view of the world where you know you start to think that everybody is well-intended in, uh, in their comments and that there are people that end up getting hurt in that process because ultimately you're just too trusting. And, you know, it, there's, there's something that's, that's the other end of the spectrum on this. And that, so like we have, we have this persona where you hate yourself, you're overly critical of yourself. And now you're projecting that bad will onto other people. Like I, if I'm this cynical and I'm this nasty, then everyone else in the world must be this nasty. And then on the flip side, you have the person who loves themselves, assumes that they're a wonderful person, and assumes everyone else is a wonderful person, and they, they can be equally burned by that as well. So I think that how, how we look at other people is a direct mirror into our subconscious. And our reactions, too. Yeah, yeah. Because so think about this in terms of how we think about it on a societal scale, the way we look at politicians. I mean, it's the way we view the rest of society, these institutions that govern us. I think it's not just if we don't like ourselves, then we're more likely than to assume the worst of that politician's lying. Wow. You know, yeah. That well, that individual's lying. It's not telling me the truth. And, you know, so that this has a this is where anger starts to begin with the idea that when we don't like ourselves, we really do start to project and under, think the worst in others. I want to ask you this nuance here, and, and this is a question I'm grappling with. Let's say you're watching the TV and you're like, wow, that politician is such a liar. Does that mean that you just hate yourself or does that mean that you too are a liar? 
I think it's more of how you look at yourself and that you are a liar. I mean, I don't, I think it's the same thing. I mean, you know, you're lying, you probably lie to yourself about certain things. Therefore mm. you start to assume that everybody else is lying. So it's, so you don't think it's possible, Joe, for you to be an, a virtuous person, but then look at that politician and be like, I am a virtuous person. Like, it's not like, is it possible for somebody to be a really good person in real life and do charity and, and help other people and volunteer their time and just be an overall rosy good person, but still look at that lying politician and be like, that politician's a liar? Depends on how much we actually know and how much we're assuming. And mm. this is where it comes back to assumptions, right? Like, you know, the idea that is this politician lying to begin with? Like, I mean, if you know it to be a fact and it to be true, well, then that's fine that you're making that assumption. But if you're sitting there and you're it, it's a little bit of a gray area and it's ambiguous whether the person's lying and then all of a sudden you're saying that person's lying and and or even they frame something, uh, a, a, a statement a certain way, you automatically assume the worst in that statement. When you do those things, it becomes, it, it is something is how your relationship with yourself. I, I think you actually just touched upon a highly um, critical distinction here. And that is, if you are watching television and you have no knowledge of anything whatsoever, and then you assume the worst, you're right. That is absolutely assumption-based thinking. But if you read an article in the Times or you read some other stuff, like, yeah, this guy's a liar. You know, I read all, I've read up on this, this, this dude. He, he, he's a liar. Then that may not be a negative, like, inward projection. That's a logical person coming to a, 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 lo a logical answer. Right. And I mean, in some ways, I think that this ultimately gets to the idea of our own personal trauma patterns. Mm. And you're looking at a pattern of somebody lying in this case, right? And yeah. then you're assuming that they're lying now because of what you've read in the past. But sometimes we have our own personal traumas that we don't deal with. And when we have these personal traumas, then we tend to project as to what we think about what other people are saying about us. So when we're not honest with ourselves, mm then we're not honest or then we're probably more than likely going to have this negative assumption about other people like what with what they say and their intentions whoa i i want to actually i want to touch on the trauma thing you just mentioned okay because sure. I, I have a lot to say i'm glad that you i didn't even think of any of this so this is beautiful my friend okay we got two ways to look at trauma here we could think of the magnitude of these traumas so for example if a woman says, my father always lied to me, always lied to me, right? That is a, a number, that's like a number 10 magnitude trauma that's probably following that woman with her for the rest of her life, right? That's, that's different than like the sales clerk lying about something being on sale or some trivial thing, right? Like that's like, that's a number 10 scale trauma. The other thing I'm thinking about is also how recently did trauma happen to you? Because I think that the things that just happened to us tend to be more fresh in the, in the subconscious than things that happened maybe years ago. But I'm not a licensed psychologist, so I can't really say that for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and that's a great distinction. I think we have to be primed in a way to, to you know, to how or whether something has just happened to us, then we're reacting to that, or whether something's happened over a long period of time. 
And but either way, we have to deal with the situations, right? And how we project it based on our experiences. Mm. Um, and how we handle our experiences as well, ultimately will lead to whether we're overly positive or overly negative sure. in our assumptions about what other people are saying. And I think that there's, again, the, the trauma aspect of it is it's important to forgive yourself in trauma. So therefore, if you're unforgiving of yourself, then you're going to be unforgiving of other people and may assume the worst in their intentions. That's my personal thought. I mean, if that makes sense, it's, it's I, a bit. I, no, I, I hear you on that. I hear, I think I'm also sensing this idea of extreme levels of mindfulness and, and hear me out on this one. Let's just say you're going to work and your boss lies to you about a promotion or lies to you about a bonus or something like that. You leave work at five o'clock and then everybody that you're bumping into, you know, your wife or your whoever your your friend you're now projecting them as the role of the liar because you have that fresh that fresh wound of your boss just lying to you and now you're in a state of the world is evil and wicked everyone is liars i don't i don't trust this guy i'm drinking a beer with right now he's a liar damn it so you know like i think that we have to be in a state of extreme levels of mindfulness where we're like okay this interaction or this discourse that I just had with my boss is completely independent from me, you know, an hour later having a nice beer with a friend. And we have to separate. What we have to do is separate our experiences and what other people are doing. And that's next to impossible. It's so hard. It's very difficult. I mean, it takes a lot of work because you're judging an, an individual independent of your own experiences. And that's rational thinking and objectively thinking about it. And, and we, we show that we have difficulties doing that in situations where we're, we're being held accountable for our performance, meaning for our jobs in certain cases. We, we have these biases that set in into based on how things are done. And so then you, if you ask us to be objective, all of a sudden, it's very hard when you're talking about interacting with another individual and remaining objective. It's a very difficult thing to ask, I would say. Yeah, I think uh, I think I, it is. I wonder, I wonder if it's smart. Like, if you have this really trauma, you know, this this like trauma that happens with your boss, and he promises you this promotion or this whatever. I'm wondering if it's ever appropriate to be like. I am too biased right now. Therefore, I need to be alone for a little bit. Maybe that's even like a smarter thing because I think that a lot of people have some trauma and then they just hang out with more people, but then they're not, they haven't quite shaken off the trauma that just happened. And now they're being really nasty to their friends and they don't even realize they're doing it. It's just that they're shaking off or projecting. Like I I picture if you've ever like had a dog and that dog goes in the bathtub, what does it do when it wants to dry itself? It just like shakes all over the place and that water goes flicking. And I think that's what people are doing when they've been abused or traumatized is that they're just shaking off all that insecurity into the air and it's landing onto other people. Sure. And actually, that has a way of perpetuating itself. Then that person starts to say, well, what a jerk. And then, then it has, uh, that person walks away and thinking, 
the worst in other people too. So, I mean, you know, this is something where it can happen very quickly too in a world that is extremely judgmental with things like social media. Getting into that idea is that we have this way of assuming things are always, you know, we people project that things are going well. And so we assume things are going well for someone, but when the opportunity presents itself and somebody does something wrong, well, then everybody jumps on that. And why is that? Well, primarily because we have this, our own personal insecurities, and we assume that, they're, that, that they shouldn't have made a mistake because mm. their things are you know, going well for them. I know that's a little bit abstract, but that just to shows you in, in the virtual world how it can manifest itself. Oh, man. You know, it, it's funny. So I actually view social media, and this is why I've tried to stop. I actually view social media with a very cynical lens. When I see people posting things that are overtly positive, you know, j- just just went on to, you know, like, like overtly, I'm just like, what is this trying to mask? Or, or what are we trying to cover up here? And, and this is probably extremely wrong. And I don't know where this like critical, cynical lens. Like I'm probably viewing social media with too much of cynicism. And and here's where my cynicism comes from. I feel like if you are truly enjoying the moment, enjoying the moment, you don't need to tell the world how awesome that moment is. And, And this is, this is my projection, you know, and like, yes, I have put Disney World photos on Facebook, but I've kind of stopped doing that. Like, I think I stopped doing that, like maybe six or seven years ago and I realized the world didn't really care all that much. But I have this sort of cynicism that you you are not entirely happy in that moment and you need to let other people know how awesome that moment is for that moment to be validated. Right. And I and I think that your cynicism is actually more times than not, it's right. You know, you're, you're correct in assuming that somebody's not living in the moment. They're obviously overcompensating for a situation. However, however, we have this negative assumption and and, and it's it leads to maybe how we interact in the real world with individuals as well. Somebody may put their best foot forward in front of you or even brag about things. You know, we have this this default to to say, well, that's just not true. They're just bragging about what they're saying. Well, no, maybe they 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 are or they aren't. It's hard to say. You know, it, it really is. It's a difficult thing. Where once we have that cynical lens, mm. then it has a way of like we just tend to assume the worst in everybody else, and 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 it's more a projection on us than it is actually everybody else. Now we may be right. That's the other part of this, though. You know, yeah. Joe, I think you really need to come drinking with me in New York City because I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you exactly why this is. And I think guys do this a lot is you're at a random bar. Guys love telling you a yarn. They love that. And I've seen this before. Yeah, I, I, I own a few buildings over here in Florida. Um, you know, like I, I got I got multiple businesses going. They love, especially the guy that you drink in hand, they, they love telling you a yarn and making it seem like they are related to JFK in some way. And then you start asking questions like, oh, well, how's that business going? And then you ask like a really specific, like a, an industry specific question. And then you notice, holy shit, they can't answer it, you know? And then you start seeing, wait a minute, 
Is, is this guy just trying to prop himself up? And this is something that, you know, may, maybe in, in, in where you are, this doesn't happen as much in, in, in Philadelphia, but here in New York, this happens all the time. And, and, and like that cynicism as a New Yorker just lives with inside me. And it also lives in the way that I look at social media. Yeah, but you know, until you run into the person that actually does own these buildings, right? <laughs> and, and, and here's the thing, though. But getting back to your social media example, the person that owns those buildings probably doesn't talk about them. Yeah. You know? yeah. So that, that so that's a really important point here because then we suspend our, uh, you know, what we assume, like our judgments about other people once they don't project. Mm. You know, and I think that that's a really important point because a lot of our negative assumptions are based upon people's need to project a certain image. Yes. yes. And I think that that kind of gets to the core of what we're talking about here is that when people start projecting, we tend to start to think, have the negative assumptions about them. Yes. And, and I think that because why they're ultimately not, we don't see them as authentic or sincere and therefore we start to have you know and and when you get into a materialistic situation or where somebody is just feeling the need to whether it be a bar and brag <laughs> for whatever reason yeah we have automatically these negative assumptions but it's, there may be that circumstance where somebody's telling you about what they uh, have accomplished or what they have because they just want to talk yeah, but we have this idea, though, this negative. Then if our past trauma from all those other people, we end up assuming the worst of this individual as well. And unfortunately, it's it's just the way the world is. Yeah, yes, I, I agree with you. I'm definitely walking into these bars. I'm, I'm not walking to any bars right now. But <laughs> when I did, I definitely was carrying that baggage with me in, in the negative assumptions. But I think you touched upon a few things here that one, I have found that people who don't aren't really braggadocious, the ones that are bragging the most are trying to compensate for something and they are trying to cover up other holes in their life. And they're, they're trying to project something really positive and that might be true or it might be untrue. Whereas the guy who probably owns five buildings, he's probably keeping that on the down low, you know, like I, I've just, that, that's like a general rule that I found. And you're right. It's not an ironclad rule. Like the guy who's bragging about owning five buildings, hell, he might own five buildings. Who am I to say that that is true or not true? And that's why I'll never call anyone out on this stuff, you know, in the moment. And, and you know, also, I don't want to get punched in the face. There's that too. So I'll just like, I'll be, I'll just smile and be like, right on brother. Yeah. You know, right. like I, I'll just, I'll just like play along with you and, and, and hear you out and, and give you the benefit of the doubt, at least outwardly. I think though, I think though that like, I, I, I'll, t oh, I'll tell you this one, this is a good one. I was with a, f a friend once and he was chatting with a guy in a bar, right? And this guy was bragging, I own a real estate, I wrote this. And then the guy was like, listen, man, that's it. Come down to my office on Monday. I'm going to hook you up with a job, okay? And my friend freaking quit his job, okay? My friend quits his job and then links up with this guy. And, and the guy is like nowhere to be seen. He just like vanishes into thin air. I mean, we were a lot younger back then, but that's an example of like my friend assuming the absolute best in some stranger in a bar, quitting his job and then having nothing to show for it. That's an amazing example is that when you're too trusting and yeah. when, you're not, when you're not cynical enough. 
I mean, and it, it being negative actually is a defense mechanism in a way, too. I mean, you know, or or assuming the worst in people is a, is a, is sometimes a defense mechanism. It's a way of saying to ourselves, well, you know, what is true here, mm. right? Based on my experiences, this can't be true. Now we may not be right, but primarily based upon what how we are again, it goes back to our trauma patterns, so to speak. Now that guy is going to ultimately, I would mean like imagine that he's going to be extremely skeptical uh, and cynical of human decency after that. If you have a trauma like that, you don't go back to work in the morning. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's, that's, you get to a point where you're kind of like, okay, well now you're going to assume the worst than everyone else. But I also feel like there's a certain sadness in that because there is the loss of innocence that's occurring there, right? Like that friend that I had, you know, yes, like you, he needed to mature the hell up and, and realize like, dude, you don't quit your job because some random dude is promising you something. You just don't do that. So on one hand, you have maturity, which is a positive thing, right? Like maturity and life experiences build you, make you stronger. But then on the other hand, there's the loss of innocence that's occurring in the individual as well. Whereas now it's kind of sad that that person will, in every future interaction, when they're speaking to strangers and a stranger promises them something, now they, they can't really put their hopes up anymore. And I think, I think that's like, that's kind of what happens is that, you know, we become very jaded and we become too jaded. Whereas when anyone speaks about opportunity or like, you know, this is why actually self-help gurus actually get a really bad rap is that people are so, they get to the point of ultimate jadedness that when someone is actually offering them gems of wisdom, they won't even eat from that plate because they've been just so freaking jaded by life. And that's a re- ultimately comes back to the relationship of our, with ourselves. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, our, our relationship with ourselves is that we've had this trauma and, and we become so jaded and so hurt that we then start projecting it onto the world. And therefore we have to, we start assuming the worst in everybody and it becomes even, even has even the negative implications in the sense that we tend to tear people down before they actually, we even know the facts. Yes. So that's where it really starts to, you know, on a societal level or looking at the politician that we're watching on TV, you start to assume everybody's a liar or, you know, that nothing is true. And I, and again, I think that this ultimately comes back to our own trauma patterns. Yes. And, and so I I think we need to come up with some like ironclad rules here about trusting people. And I think, I think this is going to help me. It's going to help you. It's going to help our listeners because we don't, we, we don't want to be that ultra jaded New Yorker on the subway. You're all, you're all monsters. You're all serial killers. Get away from me. Like we don't want to be in that mode. But we also don't want to be like my friend who got tricked and be super naive, like lamb, like what we call the lamb, right? Like the right. lamb is the one that gets sacrificed at all times. So we don't want lambs and we don't want jaded New Yorkers. There has to be a happy middle ground. So I think one rule that we, we came up with in the beginning of the conversation is don't assume anything until you have concrete evidence, right? That's rule number one. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that we... Again, we, we can't necessarily, we're very bad predictors of the future or someone else, you know. So the idea that not to make any assumptions without a lot of evidence to, to prove our point. And, and I think we have this tendency that, again, 
we have to almost catch our thoughts at that point and say, wait a minute, is this true? And, you know, is it something that I can trust with uh, making a rational judgment about someone else? And I think that that's a good part, a good point to start. But it, the, even that is very difficult to do because we're just not honest with ourselves. Right, right, right. Now, I, I would go with that. Like going, so let, let's rewind the clock. You're, you're, you're going to this bar and the guy's chatting up a storm about real estate or whatever. So the first one, I, I have no assumptions whether he's a liar or a truth teller. Like I just, I'm just keeping it totally neutral. The second thing that I would kind of implement in this situation is be open-minded, but keep your guard up. So I, I think you should listen, listen really intensely, but you're also listening with a certain degree of skepticism. Like, huh, you know, he said he said that it was on Fifth Avenue earlier in the combination. Now he's saying it's on Madison Avenue. You know, like I think yeah. that you have you're 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 not negating and call, you're not outwardly saying liar and running away from the guy, but at the same time you are listening to everything that is being said with a constant level of scrutiny. Well, and, and, I, and I, you know, I would even take a little bit of a different approach. I would be like, why are you telling me this in the first place? Mm. Like, what is the objective of you sharing this information with me? Oh, wow. There is a New Yorker in you, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Just, just a little bit. Just a little bit. If it, it, Philly, like New York it, are close enough. But no, I, 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 in a certain point, it's, it, you start to wonder what the motivations are. Yes. And I think once you find, identify people's motivations – then even then that can lead you to inaccurate assumptions. But at the same time, at least you're starting using this kind of like technique to negate an instant negative reaction. And so you're saying to yourself, you're not automatically saying this guy's a liar. Right, right. Just wonder, why is he telling me? That would make a lot more sense, right? So that's a natural conversation that you could have. But if you're just some guy that really that has no no skin in the game as to why you're having that conversation to begin with, then you can become a little bit more skeptical as to why they're telling you. Yes. And I, I think one of the questions, and, and I'm glad you touched upon this, I think that my default assumption, and maybe it's jaded or maybe it's real, is that people don't just give away things for free, right? And in this case, this guy is offering you a job with little to no prospect as to who you are, right? They're just, they're just, oh, I, kid, I like your smile. Come on board here, right? And it's like, right. you have to be skeptical in the sense of like, why is this guy telling me all of this? And why is he being charitable to me? Why am I so special? Why, why has he taking a liking to, to, to me for no apparent reason? And I think even that, that framing kind of puts you in a more on guard and, and better state of mind. Well, it does. It puts you in it, but it, you just can't let it go negative. Mm, you yes. know, I mean, because it, it puts you on guard, but you just can't let it automatically assume that the individual is trying to, you know, get something past you. And I, I think that the minute you start saying, you know, why, and then look at it objectively as possible, but you've got to be really careful not to say, well, make the leap as to why they're, you know, answer the question why without their, based on your past experiences, not based on the individual situation. Yes. I like that. I like that. So in a way, 
you have to, I don't even know how one would go about doing this. You, okay, so it's really, it's, this is a really difficult thing. On one hand, you don't want your traumas to cloud your judgment, right? You don't want, my father was always a liar to cloud every decision that you make, right? Like that's really, really bad. And you're gonna screw yourself out of a lot of opportunities. However, cumulative wisdom is important to have in life. Like if you, if you have a scenario and you're like, gee whiz, this scenario is really similar to another bad scenario that happened to me like four years ago. That may, that, that, that people call that trusting your gut. And I think that there is something to be said about trusting your gut. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, and I also think that you have to, again, you have to look at the circumstances that you're in. I think the more uh, competitive the circumstances are, that the more likely, you know, the individuals maybe are, you know, putting their best foot forward for a specific reason. And then you start asking that question, why is this person telling me? Is, you know, they just, are they looking to promote themselves? Are they looking, Hmm. uh, you know, I, I think the environment has a lot to do with our judgments as well. If you're in New York or if you're in the middle of Montana, (laughs) <laughs> you know, there's, there's, you're going to assume different things, right? You're going to assume different intentions, certain cases. It's funny because I think, I think what happens is that, and I did speak to someone who lived, who grew up in a very small town, like in a rural area. And it's not that these people are more honest. It's just that when you live in a, and I, I've never experienced this. I've, I've lived in New York my whole life, but when you grow up in a small town, kind of word gets around really quickly and you don't want to be labeled the village liar. You don't, you know what I mean? And I think there's more of an accountability mechanism in these small rural areas where it's like, if you, if you promise someone a job, well, then the whole town square is going to know that like Joe promised me a job and he just, you know, like, and, and then you, now your rep, your reputation is kind of, is basically ruined. Whereas a place in like New York, that dude just, never shows up to that bar again. There's, there's literally, you know, I, I would say probably over 10,000 bars in New York. You, that guy can just magically appear somewhere else and just continue about his business. Yeah. And I honestly think that that's a perfect example. That was where I was going with it, where you have these small intimate settings, your assumptions change, yes. right? They change about the neg- your negative assumptions because all of a sudden you start to understand you have a little bit more information about the situation hmm. and each person has more information about the other individual, like just by pure reputation in situations where you're, you're interacting with individuals that you maybe have never met before, you know, well, you're inter- you're interacting with new people all the time. You're probably going to start to assume the worst in people just as a defense mechanism. Right. Right. And as opposed to, again, in a more intimate setting, that's not necessarily needed to survive because the, you know, it's, it's more communal. Now I'm wondering if this is a bias. This is probably, this is a biases that I have and maybe others have it. So I think there's this idea also of like referrals. So if I'm hanging out with one friend who I trust and he introduces me to another friend, I am definitely less on my guard with this new person because they've been vetted. So there, there has been like a screening system of like, oh, well, Joe likes this guy. He's probably going to be a cool dude. So right off the bat, I'm giving this person more of a chance because they are being referred to me. 
And maybe I'm more generous with that person than a complete absolute stranger because of this referral system. But that is a cognitive biases because you know, maybe that person that you're referring to me is, is, is like a douchebag and I'm being more lenient and more relaxed with that person because they were f- referred to me than a perfectly uh, nice stranger. Yeah, I mean, it, and it, it is interesting because all of a sudden you put, you're putting your trust in someone else, right? Yeah. At that, at that moment in time, when you really don't have any information to, other than the fact that it's somebody that you trust, any reason, you don't have any more reason to believe that this individual is is a good guy other than your friend said so i struggle with that you know i struggle with that because i think that it also it also puts too much value on people that are around you and it does lead to that bias that you were just talking about yes yes and you also have the uh if you're also just refer if you're just if you're only just following referrals then you also don't get exposed to new types of people. I think this right. is also a highly dangerous thing. Uh, and that's and that's actually, and I'm glad you just said that because there's an element of openness. Yes. Right here. I mean, like, let's just say we're friends, but let's say you have 30 friends that are like me. Well, mm-hmm. then the odds are that you're going to be able to have those referrals and that you're going to be more trusting and then you're not going to assume the worst in people. If you have one friend or two friends, yeah. then you're probably assuming the worst in others. Sure. Because your your network is much tighter and smaller. Therefore, you know, you have to be on guard more often. Yes. And so like the individuals that are outside of that network essentially is something that you're approaching everybody with more than likely a negative bias. Yes, I, I agree with that. So I think that you're the quantity of your friends is going to be a lot smaller if you have a more jaded outlook. And they're also going to be a lot more homogeneous, I would argue, because if you're, if you're like, let's say um, into philosophy like me and you, and you're only getting referrals to other philosophers, then you're not really, you're not developing a heterogeneous friend pool of people that are maybe into some other things, like maybe they're into art, but because your referral network isn't leading you to cool artists to hang out, you then don't reap the benefits of a more heterogeneous friendship pool. Yeah. And that's why I think openness and positivity and negative assumptions has, there's a strong correlation there. Yeah. You know, how open you are is often going to be related to how positive you are. And if you're a very negative individual, Mm. that you're probably going to have a closed network and that you're not necessarily going to, you're going to assume the worst in everyone else. So I think actually that's a really interesting thing to explore is the idea of how open we are is usually a reflection of how we feel about ourselves. Yes, yes. Absolutely. So, you know, if we're more open, then I think that this also allows us to incorporate more frames of reference and we tend to be a little bit more positive uh, about uh, our interactions. Whereas, again, the negative individual that's continually having this uh, defense uh, mechanism that is essentially assuming the worst in everyone just because they don't, they're afraid of being hurt. Um, they're going to be more closed. Yes, they will. Be. And so, and therefore, you know, they're going to assume the worst in everyone else. And then it has this way of actually just tearing down relationships. It does. It, it absolutely does. Um, 
going back to our friend now in the bar, let's say he's done the critical analysis of, of, of this stranger that he's talking to who's promising him a job or whatever, right? I think the third step is what I call gradual integration. And this is this is this and this just came to me. It's like this idea that you have this new stranger and your analysis proves, okay, they're probably not lying. Like it seems it seems like their story checks out. It seems pretty legit. I looked them up on LinkedIn and it actually shows that they work, blah, 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 right? I think the next smart move to do is gradually, not right away integrate them into your lives full-heartedly, but gradually start integrating them. So I think the next step would be that friend doesn't quit their job, right? They don't quit their job the next day, but they first say, wow, I really like what you're saying. Let's meet up for a cup of coffee next week and talk more about this. So what they're doing is that they're not negating the stranger and casting them off away and, you know, like get away from me. They're like, okay, come into my life, but let's, let's do this on a trial basis. Let's do it slowly with getting a, you know, a cup of coffee in a, in a, in a Starbucks or something and talk more about business. And then, you know, every, every hoop that you jump through, every ring of fire that you jump through, my trust and my confidence in you continuously grows. Right. And here's the thing though, but once let's just come back to the idea of the trauma aspect of it. Yeah. Not to bring it back there for a minute, but, but if you had done that initially, that you wouldn't have had that trauma. Right. But now that you do have that trauma, it's automatically going to stick with you forever. Like it, it's something that you'll have to really work to get past. Mm. In other words, that discussion, that gradual discussion becomes a lot harder to have if you've been burnt. Right. And, and so that 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 rational type of thinking is kind of it becomes there's a barrier there to to basically come to the point where I, I'm going to you just again, you close down and conversely, it's let's just say it worked out for your friend, you know, where they were they went in, they had a job and everything worked out well. I don't know if that would have been necessarily the best thing either, because then you soon the best out of everybody. But it's only a matter of time before this kind of that irrational type of thinking comes back on you. Well, okay. So I, I think you're taking a rational approach and that's ultimately the best way to go. So I think, I think though that gradual integration can work well and I think it actually can help heal trauma. Maybe I'm too, I, look, me and you are super duper logical. So not everyone is going to see right, it. Right, you right, know, right, like, right, like we were definitely preaching to the choir here, but for anyone who's kind of on the fence about this, let me, let me kind of sell this to you. So you have gradual integration because your past trauma was probably you caused by you jumping into a situation full heartedly, right? The guy, you know, like, uh, you know, like I even think of like, let's say you, you think of a, a, a woman, for example, who meets a dude. And then like a month later, she gets knocked up by this guy. And that's an example of like not having gradual integration. Like she just, oh, he promised me that we were going to get married and start a family and, and wherever. She was probably traumatized by that situation because she did not employ gradual integration. She didn't have like, you know, 20 dates with this guy, really meet the dude's parents, like really kind of vet him out and make sure that he, you know, he was like, good caliber stuff. So I think that if you don't have gradual integration, you're more likely to get burned. However, 
if you have all this trauma, gradual integration allows you to have an eject button with you at all times. Because let's just say you meet up with that dude for a cup of coffee the following week, and then you discover at that point he's a liar. Well, guess what? You didn't quit your job. You didn't get you know knocked up by this guy or any of these other negative things did not happen to you. You just press the red eject button and you fly the hell out of there. So I think gradual integration gives you greater safety that can, you know, it's not, it can't fully prevent you from becoming traumatized again. But I think it's like, it's definitely a mechanism to mitigate that risk. I, it is. And, and, and I mean, I think it's a really, and it's a practical way of thinking, but the real question becomes how quickly do we hit the eject button? Right. So because <laughs> along, along those lines, we're going to be like, all of a sudden, one little small mishap, then we're assuming the worst, we hit eject. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. This gets to the idea of the negative assumption. All right. You know? Yeah. You, this... you, you have you have hit on something really important. Okay. So I think that there needs to be a path. It can't just be one little slip up. Okay. Like you have to give people a shot. It can't just be, but look, you need to mentally tabulate everything as it's going down. So like, oh well. It's a little weird that he didn't do that or she didn't do this. You know, have these little mental check marks and, and just keep a little running tally in your head. And, and look, like, you know, we're, we're smart guys. We're able to kind of do this on the fly. But for other people, it, may, it might just be writing it down or, or so, I don't know exactly, but have a, a, a running tally of what's going on. And then either when there's too many little tallies that are too messed up, like, okay, there's too many little white lies or whatever going on here. Now I'm going to press the eject button. Or if there's a big like lie or a big explosion, then press the eject button. This is all subjective and this is all arbitrary. So I don't have any like concrete examples of how this would exactly work. But I think having a tally system or waiting for your first big explosion of lies to come out is a good time to press eject. I, and I and I agree with that. And, and but it, I, I think that in that process, the really important part would be the relationship that you have with yourself, hmm. and that brings it back full circle to where we started. Like how we feel about ourselves will ultimately dictate how we hit that, whether we hit that button. Mm. or when we're going to hit our hit that button i think I, I think we can you know yes yes you are right joe and and this was my this was actually my original assumption at the beginning of the conversation it's actually amazing that like all these minutes later i'm actually kind of shifting stance a little bit on this but i think that there is there is some magical way to have immense levels of self-love for yourself but just being honest like I love myself. I have an optimistic worldview, but this guy is a piece of crap right. and I need to press the eject button right now. And, and I, I think that is possible. I think you can have immense levels of self-love, but at the same time, realize there are shitty people out there. Yeah. I mean, and that, and part of this is not only self-acceptance, but it's also accepting that there are people out there that are out to hurt you. Yes. You yes. know, I mean, so it, it's not only the idea of opening up and accepting somebody in, but it's also, you know what, you just have to accept that certain people are not good people. And that's a very difficult process. I've had to go through that personally. Yes. You know, you have to accept the fact that some people are just not really looking out for the best for you. 
Yes. And, yes. and that's hard. That's a very hard process. And then that's where you start to say to yourself, well, you know, how open can you be? Right. Mm -hmm. And then you start to, that's where you start to come up with the criteria of when to hit the eject button. Yes. Yes. Maybe look, may, maybe to, to kind of like conclude this, maybe we should all kind of have like some baseline assumption that 80% of people or the vast preponderance of people are, there are not saints, but they're generally decent ass folk. I think, I think that, that is definitely, you have to reckon you have to live in a mindful state and you have to come to terms with your past traumas and you have to have a preponderance that 80 percent or so of people are fairly decent and that should be the guiding principle for how you negotiate this 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 world and then and and then making buckets in your head of like okay it looks like this is one of the 20 percenters here that is you know you know i think even 20 percent is too high i don't think it's that right. many crappy ass people out there but like <laughs> it's like maybe it's like five percent or something i don't know what that that ratio is but being like okay it looks like this person is a part of the five percent and and now i realize that they're a part of the five percent therefore they, they need to go yeah I would go so far as to look at it from a virtuous perspective. You know, the idea of justice. You know, you have to just assume, okay, there's a becomes a point where is this a just assumption, you know, that I'm making about an individual? Because otherwise you're doing a disservice not only to yourself, but to the other person. And so you have to, and that takes a lot of courage. It really does, because then if you start applying this really, this virtue to each interaction that you have, that's hard. That's really hard. But I think that, you know, with the, with the, you're open enough to say, okay, this person is not necessarily a just person. They're lying. They're, right. they're continually lying. They're asking for things when they shouldn't be asking for things. Then, but as long as you're applying the principle of justice to each interaction, I think that's the best you can do and really work hard to suspend your judgments in that process. I, I, and that's a hard thing to do because we're just not built that way. We have to actually work against it. I know. I, I think you're actually, I love this, you know, fighting for justice because I think when you're, negotiating the world you have to pretend that you are a judge you're wearing like that black cloak and you've got your gavel or whatever and what do they tell you anytime you've ever been on jury duty innocent until proven guilty right right so you are you are the judge and okay you know eight out of ten or nine out of ten strangers they're probably going to be okay decent folk however i am not going to go into this trial with any prejudice or any assumptions i'm going to just allow the facts to speak as clearly as humanly possible i might get a little burned like i might i might meet up with some gal or girl or a guy or whatever and i waste an afternoon getting a cup of coffee with somebody who tend who turns out to be a liar but i think i think that 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 kind of justice mindset will allow me to be open enough to embrace new people into my life but at the same time, not get burned because I'm just using facts and evidence to make my decisions. Yeah, and I think that I couldn't say it any more beautifully than that. That is a beautiful framework 
in order to actually where you're not doing a disservice to other people and you're not doing a disservice to yourself. Absolutely. And so I think that that's, I, I, I can't, you know, I'm glad we came up with a framework for life. Now. <laughs> Joe, thank you so much for being on the show, my friend. Hey, anytime. This concludes the 49th episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.